0: This is Democracy on the Move. (music) Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, January 28, 2024. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today we have two guests to talk about universal health care. It's a topic that keeps coming up again and again because, as of yet, we as a nation still haven't been able to truly address this issue despite decades of trying. One of our guests is Dr. Ed Weisbart, M.D. He is the National Board Secretary and Missouri Chapter Chair of an organization called Physicians for National Health Program, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization of more than 25,000 physicians and other health care advocates in support of a publicly financed, nonprofit, single payer national health insurance program that would fully cover medical care for all Americans. He also chairs Physicians for a National Health Program's Anti Medicare Privatization Steering Committee. After practicing family medicine for 20 years at Rush Medical Center in Chicago, Dr. Weisbart moved to St. Louis in 2003 to serve as the chief medical officer of Express Scripts until retiring in 2010. He volunteered as an assistant professor of clinical medicine at Washington University in St. Louis from 2004 until retiring in 2021. He also serves as president of the of Consumers Council of Missouri, another nonprofit organization that works to build a more inclusive and equitable community through advocacy, coalition building, collaboration, and community education. Dr. Weisbart received his medical degree at the University of Illinois in Chicago back in 1979 and completed his family medicine residency and a fellowship in family medicine education at, at Michigan State University in 1982. He has an extensive history of success across a variety of healthcare environments with a strong focus on strategic planning, medical group leadership, quality and operational improvement, physician practice enhancement, innovative program development, clinical integrity, primary care, and political advocacy. He is a national speaker with dozens of articles published in both national medical journals and local media regarding the health needs of the uninsured. Also joining us today is Franklin Delano Roth II, or Denny, as he likes to be called. Denny is a candidate for U.S. Congress running to represent Missouri's 8th District. Now you may recall we had Denny on the podcast a few months back, November 19th, to be exact. Denny brings a unique blend of real-life experience and dedication. He was raised on a small grain farm in southern Indiana, and his early life was shaped by the values of honest hard work instilled by his parents. Despite the challenges of farming in the 1980s, he pursued higher education, earning a degree to teach high school history. His understanding of government and history combined with personal experience informs his perspective. Denny's journey includes the struggles and triumphs of being a single father, balancing farming and trucking jobs while raising his son. This experience deeply connects him with the challenges many Americans face in juggling work, family, and financial stability. When his dad retired, Denny decided to leave farming and move to Missouri, where he continued to work in the agricultural industry as a truck driver until his recent retirement. Interestingly, he's not a career politician or someone born into privilege. He's a self-proclaimed blue-collar-to-the-bone individual, bringing a grassroots perspective to the political arena. So uh, with that long introduction there, I hope we hope did you guys justice. Uh, Dr. Weisbart and Denny, thanks for joining us on Democracy on the Move. Well, thank you. Thank you. So uh, let's start with you, Dr. Weisbart. I, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, ask you, the Physicians for a National Health Program, or PNHP, uh, is a single-issue organization that advocates for a universal, comprehensive, single-payer national health program. Uh, PNHP has more than 25,000 members. It has chapters across the United States, and it's been around since 1988. On a small scale, I'd like to ask you, to what got you involved in uh, Physicians for a National Health Program? And then, if you would, just step back a bit and tell us the bigger picture. What has the PNHP been doing and what have they been able to accomplish in the last um, 36 years?
1: Not as much as we'd like, but more than we more than we might have reasonably hoped for. So yeah, i'm a I'm a prac I' until recently a practicing physician taking care of patients of all of all sorts and uh, and I love that work. you know, I love trying to help people. Um, but over and over again, I would see people who had a problem that they simply couldn't afford to treat, you know, they uh, I saw somebody um, at one point who came in. Um, 64 and a half years old, and she had uh, two days previously what sounded a lot like a tiny stroke, you know, uh, went away in 12 hours, but uh, she was paralyzed on one side for about 12 hours, and it went away. Um, That's uh, often a warning sign of another stroke, that's a bigger stroke that's coming, and I I examined her and I found what seemed like an obstruction in one of the arteries in her neck that uh, again fit with, oh my god, this is dangerous. Uh, and I said, you know, I'm glad you're here. I uh, wish you'd come in earlier because you're a ticking time bomb for a massive stroke and, you know, we can do things to prevent that. So we need to get an angiogram and then, you know, if, if I'm right, then you'll need to get some sort of a bypass or something to open up that artery. She said, oh boy, that's great. And then she said, but how much is this going to cost? Because she reminded me that she had no insurance and we figured out you know roughly a few thousand dollars. And she said, well, that's not something I can afford. So instead, she said, remember I'm 64 and a half, so I'm gonna pray and wait uh, until I turn 65 and get onto Medicare. Um, and for whatever you, know, you, you may think of that strategy, it worked. And, and she made it to 65 and she had the angiogram and she did have a blockage and she got it re- uh, addressed. And did not have a stroke, so hooray! But um, you know, I've seen them thousands, you know, or hundreds of stories like that. And when you see one, it's sort of disturbing. But when you see them over and over and over again, and we all know people like this, we all know stories like that, um, you start to think, well, my gosh, there's a there's really a fundamental um, problem with the way we set up healthcare finance in the country that people are making these decisions. So that, that just, you know, so many of those stories got me um, motivated to look at what we can do differently and to recognize that the problem we happen to have on my mind, one of the best healthcare system delivery systems in the world, our country, and I can give you evidence to prove this has many of the world's best doctors and hospitals and pharmacies and nurses. But yet we live four or five years shorter. Our lives are cut several years shorter than other countries' peoples are. And the problem isn't that we don't have great doctors and hospitals and nurses. We have a lot to be proud of. The problem is we don't let everybody in. <laughs> we make too many people like that 64 and a half year old not get healthcare, and it cuts our lives short. Um, so that's, that's what motivated me. And so I looked around to see what we can do about it. And I looked, well, where's the best healthcare system in the country? And frankly, Medicare is already like pretty darn good. It's not perfect. There's some things we need to improve, get rid of the copays and deductibles and add in hearing and vision and dentistry. And if we need to fix some things, but then let's fix those things and give it to everybody in the country. Make sure everybody has good, robust, high quality healthcare without having to go bankrupt.
0: And so the, your your journey there sounds, um, I mean, it sounds kind of scary to let somebody walk out of your office there with just, you know, a ticking time bomb. And uh, <clears throat> I know my grandmother actually died from that, but she was much older than that at the time. But um, that is a, um, that's a very serious thing. And it, it must, I mean, you, you must feel, you must have felt <laughs> completely depleted and helpless when they, when they say, well, I can't afford it. And they walked out. Um, so let's step back a little bit though and talk about, about the, uh, about PNHP, the, the Physicians for a National Health Program. Um, you've joined them, but now they've been around for, I think since if I read somewhere correctly, it was 1988, they've been around for a while now. So what have they, what are the major milestones that do you think they've been able to accomplish during this time? Well I'd
1: say the the biggest one was that we uh described what a good healthcare system could look like you know we you hear talk about medicare for all and all this stuff you know but uh, actually it's our group that first described it uh in a published uh, article in, in the, at the beginning um so you know that was, <laughs> that was maybe 35 years ago or so it's hard to say that that's a but that was that was probably the single biggest thing and then I'd say what we've done since then is helping to educate and advocate uh, moving the com- the, com- the country closer towards getting universal um, health care. Uh, frankly, until um, the the 2016 uh, general election, the topic wasn't one that most people really understood or, or focused heavily on. And then, um, you know, um, the, the 2016 presidential campaign brought that to the front page of the newspaper, put it above the fold in the newspaper, and people started being curious about it. So we We've shifted from having to just do general. Hey, over here, look at us. We know how we we know about. Be- there's a better way right here. Uh, we shifted from having to just do that sort of foundational work to, I'd say, in the last five years, we've become much more strategic. Uh, so that now, in addition to fighting to get those bills enacted, uh, we're also thinking about well, what are the stepping stones along the way? And there's a few of them that we've been making tremendous progress uh, about. But we're not there yet, so we have a lot more work to do. <laughs>
0: okay. And Denny, I promised to get to you shortly, but I did have one more follow up that I wanted to, to talk to Dr. Weisbart about. Um, <clears throat> it, um, I was just trying to get familiar with, with uh, PNHP and uh, Physicians for National Health Program, and um, I was reading their mission statement, and there's a lot to unpack in the mission statement, but if I were to try to summarize it, I'd say that the mission statement advocates for a universal, comprehensive, single-payer national health insurance system, which is what I said before. Uh, It also discusses combating racism and promoting uh, social justice. So the overall emphasis is that high-quality health care is a right for all U.S. citizens and residents. Um, Now, But clearly, the mission statement opposes for-profit control of health care and supports a democratically controlled, publicly administered national health program funded by progressive taxes. Um, that's not unlike what we've been hearing from advocates for Medicare for all. And I assume that there's little daylight, if any, between Medicare for all and Physicians for National Health Program, at least in so far as the mission statement is concerned. Uh, I recognize, however, that the, uh, Medicare still involves for-profit insurance companies such as part of Medicare Part C and D, um, you know, as well as supplemental insurance. The insurance companies still get in there in some way or another, um, I think that that's safe to assume that the uh, Physicians for a National Health Program seeks to avoid. Um, but uh, just generally looking at the mission statement itself, could you elaborate in the mission statement and help us understand the, the big picture of where they're going?
1: yeah so it's exactly what you said you know we and that's what i sort of alluded to which is that we think medicare is a is a good program it could be one of the could be the way that we could solve the problem uh, that we have in the country Uh, but when i mentioned that we have uh, a more strategic approach than just passing the medicare for all bill what i was alluding to was exactly what you brought up there dan What I was alluding to was the fact that um, Medicare, you know, we we know Medicare for all is not going to pass in the next two or three years. We know that, even though we will continue to fight for it and try to get more co-sponsors. But the the issue on the table for the next period of time here is the privatization of Medicare. The way our cherished, hugely successful public program is being handed over uh, to the profiteers that are just pillaging the program and frankly destroying it. Um, so the so the strategy that we that we're that we've been building out is essentially threefold. First, pass the darn single payer bills, and we can go home. You know, or we can move on to the next piece of this. But secondly, uh, improve traditional Medicare. Improve that. And so that means don't make people on traditional Medicare have to buy a pharmacy benefit. Everybody needs a pharmacy benefit. So embed a pharmacy benefit in traditional Medicare people 90 percent of people in traditional medicare purchase uh, a medicare supplemental policy because medicare itself traditional medicare comes with pretty onerous copays and deductibles with no limit on how high that can go and that's a that can bankrupt you so 90 percent of people in traditional medicare get a medicare supplemental policy that essentially eliminates the copays pays and deductibles but those Medicare supplemental policies cost an average of 200 dollars um, a month. And then a Part B benefit, the drug benefits, another $50 a month. So to have traditional Medicare and not have to deal with the risk of bankruptcy from co-pays and deductibles and not have to skip skip your drugs, you have to spend $250 a month on average. And that's a lot of money. <laughs> that that's that's you know, that not everybody can afford that. So instead, there's this other option that the profiteers have garnered uh, called Medicare Advantage, uh, so-called Medicare Advantage or Medicare Part C, those are synonyms. Um, And what they've done is they've gotten uh, the federal government to to pay them more than what they pay in traditional Medicare. So we pay uh, significantly more for the, the federal government pays significantly more for the average person in Medicare Advantage than they do for the average person in traditional Medicare. And as a result of that, the Medicare Advantage companies are able to eliminate uh, oftentimes some of the financial barriers. They're able, there's a cap on how high you can go. They add in some of the benefits that are missing. So all of those things are done in a pretty limited way, but somewhat so, and, and in Missouri, you can often get a Medicare Advantage, you can switch into Medicare Advantage for free uh, and not have to buy the supplemental policy and not have to buy Part D. So people are almost financially trapped uh, and have no affordable choice but to go into Medicare Advantage and we don't think that's right. It should be a level playing field. Medicare should be able to at least compete on a level playing field against that. So eliminate the copays. Don't make people buy a supplemental policy. Eliminate the copays. Add in hearing and vision and dentistry and these other things so that, you know, make these companies uh, compete. Because in traditional Medicare, especially when you have the supplement and such, in traditional Medicare, nobody gets in the way, right? There's no prior approvals or prior authorizations or permissions. You can go to 89% of adult medicine physicians accept traditional Medicare as a payment model. Whereas if you get stuck into Medicare Advantage because you can't afford not to, um, well, they tell you which doctors you can go to. It's a much smaller network. They say, no, not this doctor, yes, this doctor. No, not this hospital, yes, this hospital. And they and oh, you want to get a CAT scan? Well, it'll take a week for us to consider whether or not you you deserve a CAT scan. That's all. None of those things exist in traditional Medicare. People are trapped there though and can't can't really get out. So so that's that's terrible. Um, and that's one of the things that we. But you can't just get rid of Medicare Advantage because people are there for a very specific reason. It's all they can afford notice that wealthy people don't tend to go into Medicare Advantage. It's lower income people that go in there. Wealthy people don't put up with this. You know, it's the lower income people that are trapped there with an inferior insurance product. So the strategy at PNHP, at Physicians for a National Health Program, includes exposing this trap people don't realize they're going into and simultaneously improving traditional Medicare so that people are no longer trapped into this inferior insurance product that's inappropriately called Medicare Advantage. To be clear, it's only really an advantage if you're the CEO or the shareholder. It's not an advantage if you're a patient trying to get health care.
0: Yeah. I I listened to uh, Ralph Nader quite a bit in his podcast. He calls it Medicare disadvantage. Uh, You know, that really raises the hairs in the back of his neck when he talks about Medicare Advantage. And I recently went through this myself. My wife just went on to Medicare and, um, we looked at, at all the programs, and um, you're right. It is, it is tempting to go onto Medicare Advantage because of the initial costs, but uh, the long term, <clears throat> at least in Missouri here, it's really hard to get back out of Medicare Advantage into a regular Medicare system. And I, I believe there's things like you have to pass a, um, um, uh, if you have pre existing conditions and things like that, it's, it's very difficult to, to get out of that trap. But I do want to move on, though, with uh, with, with Denny. This is uh, <clears throat> universal health care, as you know, is a huge issue, and you're the politician here, or, or you know, the, the aspiring politician. We hope you'll we hope you'll see uh, Washington D.C. Um, <clears throat> but, but in my opinion, universal health care is not very complicated. I actually find the proposed system mind-blowingly simple. I think that uh, Dr. Weisbar talked about this, you know, where it's you know single pair. You go in, you get you get your medical attention. There's no no hassle or anything. Um, my wife actually works in healthcare and she works on the administrative side, and she constantly reminds me how complicated it is for uh, and, and and ultimately how unfair it is for uh, for the system the way it is set up currently. And yet for decades, we've been putting up with this, uh, you know, and we've been we've been trying to get something like this through Congress to fix this uh, into law. But it's been a Herculean task. And I'd say that we probably came close a couple times. The first time was another gentleman with the initials FDR. Yeah. Um, but there is, you know, it's a stubborn populace out there that refuses, uh, that, that pushes against it. And I think it's, you know, it's largely subsidized by the insurance companies to, to push against this. Uh, even though it resolves a lot of problems like per- personal bankruptcy, uh, like Dr. S- uh, Dr. Weisberg talked about, uh, you know, lack of health care, complicated overhead, medical coverage, denials, and so on. So what are the big blocking issues from your perspective, Denny? What are the big blocking issues? What am I missing here?
2: Um, I think there's just one issue. It's called money. Mm-hmm. Greed, basically. Uh, they don't want to give it up. Uh, they want it confusing. They don't want it simple. Uh, be very simple. Uh, we could get rid of the private insurance companies. The government would issue a card, and it would be good at any doctor's office, any hospital, any pharmacy, any dentist office, any optometrist, any of those. Be very simple to do. Um, I, I get the, of course, everybody gets the blowback about, um, well, if you you uh, if you get socialized medicine, you'll have to wait months to get in to see a doctor. Well, you do here too. You don't go see a specialist, it takes months sometimes to get in and see them. But uh, uh, Dr. Weisberg, he, he's saying just exactly what I've been saying out on the campaign trail, much more eloquently than I do, but uh, we're preaching the same message. And uh, I, I've been telling people, I was in Aruba in December and a tiny little island of 100,000 people has universal health care. They pass 7% tax, and everything is covered, everything. But yet, the richest, most powerful nation on earth can't pull it off, and it comes down to one thing: greed, pure and simple. That's what it is.
0: But you said, you know, greed and money, and that is a big, big challenge. Because you know, when you when you try to go to Washington D.C., as we've seen, other politicians as well try to go into this uh, into this hornet's nest and they get stung a whole bunch of times, and, and it, it's really hard to fight this uphill battle, even though at the end of the day, the voters really benefit from a from a, a program like this, universal health care. But they, it's, it's just, yeah, it's greed, it's money, but I'm just trying to figure out how all that works, how all, all that comes together. Is it just through commercial advertisements? Is it through people saying... Oh, this is socialism, or this is communism, or you know, this is what this is what they, this is what uh, Castro did in Cuba, that sort of thing. Which, by the way, Cuba actually worked out pretty well, from what I understand, from a medical perspective.
2: So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's lobbying, um, and since Citizens United, it's just gotten worse. Uh, they have endless amounts of money they can pour into this, and they buy the politicians, and the politicians write the laws that that benefit the. The wealthy and it's just a, a big circle and it just keeps cycling around. But uh if people I, I don't know of anybody and I and I ask this question when I'm out, uh how many people here want to give up their health care, their Medicare? I don't get anyone raising their hands. Uh would you like to make it simpler and not have to deal with the supplements? Oh yeah, I get hands on that, but no one wants to give it up. Uh so and I tell people, well, we can do that for everyone. Well, are you gonna raise taxes up so high that we can't afford? No, you don't have to raise taxes like that. Uh, we'll raise, we'll have a tax, obviously, to cover it, but when you factor in what you pay in premiums and co-pays and deductibles and all that, I mean, it's just, uh, in some cases, it would be much cheaper just to pay a tax, uh, depending on your insurance program. But if you're self-employed, which I have been when I was farming, and I can tell you the insurance you get as someone that's self-employed and not in a group plan, is awful you pay a very high price very high deductibles just it's basically catastrophic coverage so uh, it it would it's just but you're fighting this uphill battle uh, against the lobbyists and all this money to try to because the propaganda is very successful uh, with people and uh, they preach this message 24 7 on you know the, all the ills of socialized medicine, and I tell people in my district we already have 35 percent of the people in this district on socialized medicine, between Medicare, Medicaid, VA benefits. So why don't we why don't we get it for everyone? It'd be simple, much simpler than what we have now. And I I know many many doctors I've talked to, surgeons and, and all that, that say if you know they take 25 30 percent less money if they could just get rid of the insurance headaches.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a whole lot less administrative overhead when, you, when you're when you just dealing with a single-payer system. And just for reference, I was looking at the OECD estimates. That's the, uh, what is OECD? I wrote this down here. It's the...
1: Organization of Economic Cooperative.
0: Yeah.
1: Development.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I actually, oh, here it is. Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Yeah. There's like 37 nations in the OECD and um, that wasn't a quiz for you, by the way, Dr. Weissberg. That was, that was a, you, you, had, you got further than I could, so. But I was looking at their, the chart that they came up with uh, for 2022. And just on, a, on, a, on an aggregate level, they said that the average per capita healthcare cost for every person in America is like $12,555. And this is based on, on data from 2022, which is now getting to be about two years old. Um, that works about that works out to about four point three trillion dollars you know and and so that's what we're paying already so when you talk about the taxes Denny uh you know you gotta you gotta <laughs> I gotta take a, a second look at this and say well okay, you know we're already paying a huge tax to begin with and um and I'm gonna start off again with you Denny, but but I'm gonna go over to you again dr. Weisbert but um first of all um uh, I like to get your I like to um Let's say you're let's say you're elected as a representative for the Missouri Eighth District, and for the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, what is your specific plan for moving the ball for, you know, down the field a little bit more for universal health care? I mean, what alliances will you seek out, or do you plan to build a groundswell of support around this issue, or what? What uh, where do you see yourself going?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, try to find like-minded individuals, and I know they're there uh in congress as well as the senate obviously Bernie sanders and and folks like that and, and some of the congressmen like roqana and, and some others but yeah you just have to seek out uh like-minded uh, congressmen and senators and and try to get your own message out i mean and and just cut through all the the falsehoods and the lies uh that surround what they call socialized medicine that's probably a word that that we probably need to get rid of because it's that's got the, the word thing. social in it socialism, socialism you know we don't yeah. like socialism but everybody that has it seems like it from our social security to medicare to whatever else we have but um, but yeah we'd ha- we'd have to find common ground with a lot of people and some people maybe who are on the fence but i think that would if it was presented correctly i think that uh, most people uh, would be interested in it. And I think most people would go for it. Uh, again, when I'm out talking to people, I ask people, you know, who likes their health healthcare? Yeah. Well, not many do. Yeah. Now the ones on Medicare, uh, obviously a lot more people like it, but w- when you talk to people that are still working or self-employed or whatever, you don't see many hands go up. Yeah. So I think, I think that people would be ready for something that's a whole lot simpler. If, we can get past the fact that they think they're just going to pay a bunch of taxes. That's, that's the key because people think it's going to cost them a bunch of money in taxes. Uh, so we, we have to work on messaging, obviously. I mean, equating the, the, the premiums and the deductibles and all that against what a tax would cost you. Um, but I, I think it could be a successful message. I truly do.
0: Okay. And, and Dr. Weisberg, before I get to you, um, I, I I didn't complete my thought before. I apologize for that. But uh, I said the per capita cost for the U.S. is like twelve thousand five hundred fifty-five dollars per person per capita. I guess that's what that means. Uh, the next it, that's the highest by far uh, of all the countries in the OECD. The next one down is like Switzerland, which is like eight thousand forty-nine dollars, and uh, it goes down from there. Like Germany's like eight thousand eleven dollars. Um, the average for all the OECD nations is like 4,966, very specific numbers, I know, but that kind of gives you a perspective of, uh, yes, as you said, Dr. Weisberg, we have the best medical coverage in the world by far. We have the superior doctors and nurses and, uh, all kinds of medical professionals that are working with us. Um, <clears throat> but we're also paying a boatload more money than, uh, other countries. Including some of these very advanced countries as well, so something's uh, something's rotten in Denmark, um, no pun intended. Because actually, they're... Denmark's pretty good. If you... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if um, I could, show sure, sure your numbers one,
1: one little sort of um, interesting thing about the numbers you quoted, and I think you're exactly right um, that we spend about twelve thousand five hundred dollars per person, and the average is is less than that. The next, so we spent twelve thousand five. The next most expensive spends 8,000. So we're 12, next is eight. Those, those countries, all the other countries you mentioned, that's all public funding, that's all tax dollars. So how much are we currently spending in our tax dollars? Mm-hmm. Turns out that of our 12,500, 8,200 is our current tax bill. When you add up what we spend on Medicare and Medicaid and if you add up what we give as a tax break to businesses, if you add up the cost of health care to the military and to the post office and to teachers, if you add all that together of our 12,500 that we spend, 8200 is public funding, is tax dollars, 8200, which is still more than the 8,000 for the next largest, next, next, most expensive country. So our public dollars, our tax dollars are more than enough, more than what any other country spends mm-hmm. on universal health care. And then on top of that, there's another $4,300 that we spend out of pocket. So, so we spend a lot, but we were already, we're already publicly funding a program that we're just not, getting we're just not getting because the insurance companies greed and a few other organizational greed is taking our money from us they're taking the money that we're spending and not giving us what we and we we have to fix it exactly the way that danny is talking about
0: yeah i was uh, in fact i was going to bring that up later on but i'm glad you brought that up now because I, I know that there is a a path to um that's described on the pnhp website uh, a path as to how to re-vector the money in in, in, a, in a way, and it's kind of complicated for me to describe it. But you were alluding to it there, and uh, it's 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 very true. Uh, but I was gonna I want to get back a little, a little bit though. Um, we uh, in the introduction when I was introducing you, you said you also have political advocacy as part of your uh, bank of, of talents that you've used in the past. Um, how is the uh, how is how are the physicians for a national health program? engaging with politicians to help them move, to move the needle.
1: Uh, well, we um, actually had a success on this just uh, yesterday that we can talk about. So we've, like, as like I said, we've focused um, beyond simply passing the bill, we focused more strategically on improving traditional Medicare in the ways we've talked about and on exposing Medicare advantage. So the so the exciting thing to, to tell you that happened literally, well, it was Wednesday, it was two days ago, I'm not sure when this is gonna be broadcast, but but two days from before we, we recorded this, um, there, um, we, we succeeded at changing um, a letter that the insurance industry was was about to get released with lots of people in Congress signing it. So um, for the last several years, and, and positions for a national health program had a big role in this, for the last several years, along with our allies, For the last several years, Congress has written a letter, not a piece of legislation, but a letter in support of these profiteers. They've written a letter in support of the Medicare Advantage industry. Um, And uh, and three years ago, they had a majority of people in both chambers and all over the place signing this letter. Um, Last year, we started fighting against, convincing them not to sign that letter. And uh, in the Senate, for example, we went from 64 people down to 62 senators that signed it last year. This year, if this hopefully the final number stays final instead of 64 or 62 senators, at the moment that we're speaking, it's only 39 senators that have signed yes. on to. It. And so in specific, there's there's senators who 4 days ago had signed that letter in support of Medicare Advantage. PNHP and our allies, our friends and other organizations descended on some of them and got them to pull their names off of those letters. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're training physicians how to advocate. We're setting up meetings for physicians and others in Congress. We're working closely with our allied organizations, people that agree with us and wanna work hard on it, like Social Security Works and Public Citizen and Just Care and, and People's Action. And, a, and there's, a, there's a number of groups that we're meeting every week or two. to, to so when, So when this letter was about to be released with all these senators signing on, all of us working together descended, and there's one senator in particular whose name I'll not mention, who uh, who got, um, I think, 5,000 phone calls and 2,000 letters, I think was the number, in 24 hours. From the day we heard that their name was on the letter, we galvanized all of these groups together to descend on them, and they pulled their name off the letter. So, So yeah our advocacy the work is working you know it's we're getting there that's not that didn't get a single payer that didn't get us universal health care that but it's if if you only look at that if you only look at the end point of have we passed the bill you'll be pretty frustrated and discouraged i mean it wasn't, right. it, it wasn't just denny's denny's family name you know franklin delano it was actually harry truman it was it, it was teddy roosevelt who ran on this campaign yeah. so this goes back more than 100 years if all you look at is have we achieved the goal You'll be pretty discouraged by how long the fight is. But if you look at the things along the way, you know, like the growing opposition to the profiteers in Congress, the growing recognition that we have to improve Medicare, the growing dissatisfaction and, frankly, anger about patients like the one that I described to you, you know, we're making this is above the fold again. We're making we're making headway on this. And so it's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah. Baby steps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's really good. I think that's that's. Uh, I mean, if, if you if if only thirty nine senators sign on to this thing at this point, I'd consider that a, a quantum leap, really, in terms of your success. That is really amazing. do Do you have like a Do you have like a state organized? Well, you you're organizing every single state across the union. Um, do you have like those those phone calls you can make to like the state uh, chairman and and say okay now get all your people to write these letters or make these phone calls or something I mean that I mean it's it's, it's is it organized like that because cuz if we read the PNHP website it almost looks like it's it's like for doctors or for medical people to educate them but, you know, it, it sounds like you're branching out, you know, getting all these phone calls and letters and stuff. It sounds like you're branching out into like normal people and, and you know, and Denny's effort uh, also contributing to this where, you know, Denny's out there talking to normal people and asking them those questions. You know, should we be doing that at a local level too? telling them, hey, you know, see what PNHP is up to and, you know, start writing letters and stuff because it does make a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's where coalitions and, and networking build together, you know, that um, I, I didn't mean to imply that we we're the only ones who got those letters to to, to hit uh, yeah, yeah. Congress, we, but we had a big voice in building that we, you know, we wrote a lot of the content that a lot of people were using we, 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 we built a lot of this stuff. And, you know, Missouri is a different, you know, ball of wax. Um, it's, it's kind of a frustrating place sometimes to work with. Um, but because uh, some of the people that we choose to elect have it's become sort of a team sport rather than really a what's best for the country sort of strategy. Um, and uh, that's where, you know, I'm pretty excited about about what we can do. To be clear, PNHP, my, my group that I work with, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. We do not endorse candidates. We do not endorse political parties. And although I personally, just me, me, I'm really, you know, pretty excited about, uh, you know, what, what we're hearing, you know, today, you know, from Denny. Um, uh, that's not, should no way take this as, a, as, a, as an organizational endorsement. Um, we don't do yeah. that at all.
0: Yeah, I get that. And um, just uh, one thing, if I may sort of uh, meander into a different territory here, because, again, reading the PNHP website, I didn't get through the whole thing, but I did read the entire um, proposal that you guys have, which was pretty short. uh, Well, it was a really long, you know, it was like 37 pages, but then it ended up being just seven pages, and the rest of them were all references and things like that, so there's quite a bit of information stuffed into it. Um, But one of the things that that struck me was— you're dealing with a big issue right here, which is with changing the people's minds on healthcare. One of the things I fear though, is over festooning the Christmas tree is what I would call it. Where you hang too many ornaments on the Christmas tree and, and it'll, it'll start breaking the branches. Um, Cause I, you know, I see that you, that the website references things like social justice, uh, structural racism, undocumented immigrants, you know, all this, all these things appear in the mission statement, which is good. I mean, I'm on your side on that sort of thing. But I'm just afraid of like the average Joe out there looking at that and saying, "Well, I don't want to get you know illegal immigrants, uh, you know, free healthcare or something like that." That's kind of a non-starter for a lot of people. So um, I would think that you'd want to like sort of focus it just on the healthcare issue. But I, but I realize it's it's kind of hard to you know cleave those apart as well. Social issues and healthcare issues are sort of bound together. Um, do you have any comments on that at all, or you have sort of a confused look on your face at this point? So I hope I'm not, I'm not. Uh, no, I'm you. no, I'm not, not confused
1: at all. I mean, it's an issue that we wrestle with all the time, um, um, and the way that we, you know, come down on it is that we we we're stronger when we're together. You know this is this, this it's it seems unlikely that any one single issue can advance without really every issue having to advance uh, together i know what you mean about over the christmas tree but um you know we need to be just honest and upfront about this for example you know we strongly believe that universal health care has to include a woman's right to choose whatever health care freedom they they need uh and so some people would say well you know if you if you just took that out of the out of the platform if you just took took that off the table, That then, you know, look at all the extra people we would be able to get supported with, and that's maybe a political calculation that none of us want to do, and and if I did try to do it, I would say it's the wrong calculation, because uh, for the people for whom this is an important issue, it's an important issue, and once you start carving off, you know, groups that you're willing to leave in the road, Well, you can carve off a whole lot of those groups. Well, we really need to help folks with disabilities. Well, you know, cancer is just, if we just didn't cover cancer, I mean, you know, it'd be so much less expensive, but we just didn't cover cancer. I mean, what, where do you, where do you stop? So, so we're trying to just be honest and upfront about here's what we think we need to do. Everyone in the country needs to be covered. I'm sorry, you know, if you're, however you got here, if you're here, I want you in the best health that the country can help you be in so that you can work. You know, I don't, I want you healthy so you can work. I want you healthy. So you're not sitting on the bus next to me and coughing up tuberculosis. You know, I want you able to get the healthcare you need so that you can be thriving and healthy while you're, while you're here. So yeah, we firmly believe that it's, that it's everybody here, you know, not necessarily only the citizens, but residents, but that doesn't mean that we think that you should be able to take like, you know, loads of people from some other country and just pop them here and immediately give them all access to the Mayo Clinic. You know, there's that's not that's not what this is. I mean, the proposals that, that we've got have definitions of residency that would have to be determined. But in general, the philosophy is, yeah, don't leave people out. And that's the whole that's that's the way that the that progressive movements like this often wind up disappearing. Because we agree to be so politically savvy and fragment ourselves apart that then, you know, well, who's actually still on the bus? You know, so no, we're in this together. We have to be in this together. And I agree with you. It makes it a little bit more complicated of an issue to bring up. But we got to talk about this stuff or we'll never get there.
0: Yeah. I talked to a guy named Kevin Howard uh, a, few, a few weeks ago. Well, he was about a month ago. Uh, He wrote a book, and um, I forgot the title of the book at this point, but uh, he had this philosophy that um, everybody is part of this nation, right? Because how can you say somebody like, uh, that guy doesn't deserve my my attention or something, and you flip on a light switch? Well, wait a minute, what's behind that light switch? There's a power company back there. There's a whole bunch of people that work for the power company to make sure that light is on and the electricity is there when you need it. They are all part of the system, and they may be, part, may be part of the people that you're telling, you know, you don't belong in this system, or you don't belong here because you don't agree with me or something. Um, you know, the whole the whole nation. It, it's like, you know, who picks up your, your garbage? Who uh, who takes care of um, of the of the mail for you? These are all, you know, everybody's part of it. So, I mean, I get that. I, I I'm totally with that, and I don't think that's a progressive statement at all to say something like that. It's just reality. It's what we are. We're all intertwined and, inter- and interconnected. And it comes down to Denny's job, really, to convince everybody that uh, this is the case, and <laughs> that's that's yeah. where you got to get in the boat and start rowing pretty hard, yeah. there, Denny.
2: Well, we're all in a in a civilized society. I mean, this is the way it's supposed to work, right? I mean, the, the taxes go in and serve the public good, whether it's fire department, a police department, roads, uh, water systems, uh, medical care, everything. All that is part of living. In a civilized society. Uh, Are there going to be people that take advantage of it? Absolutely. There's always someone that will find a way to take advantage of something that's good. But do you throw everyone else out because you have a few that take advantage of. it? Uh, In my eyes, no, you still include everybody and try to deal with the ones that are that are taking advantage of it. But we have to do something different than what we're doing. I mean, we're the only basically the only civilized country in the world or only industrialized country that bankrupts citizens over health care or force them to ration medications like insulin. How many how many articles have you read where somebody has died because they were trying to ration their insulin because they couldn't afford it? Or they, you know, they were trying to pay the rent this month, or the, the utility bills. And they so they were trying to ration their medication. And to me, in a country with this much wealth. It's just absolutely, I don't even know the adjective. I don't even know what word to use to describe how horrible that is, that we have people that go without their medication, like in medical care, like the woman, the doctor was talking about that put off what could have been a fatal decision, thankfully it wasn't, but could have been a fatal decision if she had, you know, by waiting until she got it, um, got the health care she needed. So it's just, I think that, uh, again, I think we just have to cut through the propaganda and try to cut through all the money that's being thrown against the idea of universal health healthcare. Uh, but when you put this to people and frame it correctly, most people agree with you that we need something different. I have very Republican friends that also agree, well, they don't like their health care. They don't like having to deal with insurance companies and all that. So I think it's something that would really take if we get the message out right. And that's what I'm trying to do when I'm out talking to people, is try to get that message out. Look, this, this is not something that's bad. This is something we all need. And it's something that most of us want. Like I said, most people don't want to do away with their Medicare. They'd make it simpler without the, the supplements, but they don't want to do away with it.
0: Yeah. Well, you get th- to think also the, uh, the incentive for insurance companies when you get sick, their incentive is go away. We don't want you. We don't want to cover you. The incentive of the the government is a little bit different, right? They say, no, we want to nurse you back to health because you are part of this structure that keeps the system going. And eventually you'll come back and you'll pay taxes too. So, you know, the government looks at things in terms of the long-term investment, which is the right place to come from, I think, whereas insurance companies... Um, you know, we, we need capitalism. I, I'm not going to get down on capitalism at all, but, but capitalism can certainly work against us in some situations, especially when it comes to healthcare. care. Um, I, I want to try to wrap this up pretty soon, but uh, Dr. Weisbart, you uh, actually alluded to this earlier about, uh, about the transition and in terms of like where we are now versus where we need to be you know, what what the, whatever the vision is, you know, in the future, when everybody has universal healthcare coverage, um, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, you know, the least of which is like, you know, coding things into the computer to make sure that, you know, you have codes for, you know, broken arms or whatever it is that's out there. Um, but, and, and, from a bigger perspective, there are things that insurance companies do when it does work and it it does, you know, it does work. Um, and they've, they've built up a, um, a structure there. So, how do you switch over to a? Could you give us some just some, you know, breadcrumbs as to how you switch over from what we have right now over to um, where you, where you see the vision going? Yeah. So,
1: I'm I'm a believer in doing things step by step. You know, I don't I don't think you want to cross a chasm in a single leap. Um, it'd be great, but if you look at the bottom of those chasms, there's a lot of people who didn't make it across. <laughs> <laughs> I think the way you cross the chasm is you build a bridge and you start driving bigger and bigger vehicles across. So yeah, I look at what are the what are the things that you can do. And so, you know, one thing, real simple thing, we don't know what happens in Medicare Advantage, right? Uh, doctors file their claims to their bills to Medicare for traditional Medicare, but if I'm seeing somebody with Medicare Advantage, I don't send that bill to Medicare. I send it to Humana or Blue Cross, and so Blue Cross doesn't reliably send that information on to Medicare. Medicare doesn't know what they're doing. So doctors have to manage dozens of ways to pay their bills. And so that's that's complicated and inefficient and expensive to build it up like that. And it gives the insurance company power. And they don't have to pay the bill. They can be, you know, delaying things. So one of the incremental steps is centralize all that. Just, just let, let doctors send all their bills into Medicare. <laughs> and then let medicare approve it if it meets medicare's criteria don't let the insurance company say well medicare said yes but i'm still going to say no no that shouldn't be allowed let medicare look at the bill say yeah that's what medicare is supposed to cover yeah of course it's going to be paid and stop asking questions about it and then let medicare then tell the insurance company hey we're paying you to do this now pay this darn bill so so that's centralizing claims processing improve it would be something that you have to do to get to where we want to go and that would then give medicare all of the data and be able to make sure that these companies don't get in the way of what they're supposed to do so that's one kind of thing improve medicare add in you know stop making people buy a supplement but a limit on what it what it what it what it costs we've actually looked at that or i think the urban institute looked at that and the cost of putting a limit in traditional medicare of what people have to pay if you put in a $5,000 limit on that, that would cost $39 billion. We overpay the Medicare Advantage companies by up to $140 billion. So if we stopped letting the Medicare Advantage companies steal our money, we could put a limit like that in traditional. And if we put that limit in traditional Medicare, then you wouldn't have to buy a supplement because you the government would have your back yeah. as it's supposed to. Instead of letting the money get taken away by the insurance companies, so building in these things, cutting out the the the, the way we let, stopping stopping the insurance companies from stealing our money as they do in Medicare Advantage, those are the ways we get to, and that's what that's what PNHP Physicians for a National Health Program is is feverishly working on uh, beyond what we used to work on. If just pass the bill, no, yes, just pass the bill. But here's two other things we can do: improve traditional Medicare and stop the pillaging and profiteering that's going on.
0: That's wonderful because I'm I'm uh my background is engineering and I'm very process oriented inside my brain and so I like that idea of of uh, you know of these steps that you've laid out there. Uh, so Denny, those are your marching orders.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, like I said, we're we're all preaching to the choir here. I think <laughs> we all. We all want the same thing we just have to convince other people um the average person out here that this is by far the the best and the cheapest way to go in the end and and i ask people i say uh, how do you think an insurance company health insurance company is money they make it by denying you something because if they pay for something you need they're gonna make less money and we know it's all about profit it's profit driven industry we have to take the profit out if you want to cheapen up health care like we say we spend far more than any other country in the world and to get those costs down you get the private insurance out of it because uh what is it a third of the of the costs that we pay now goes to insurance company profits and administrative costs and all that uh then what else do we spend by people delaying coverage going to Uh, you know, a doctor or a hospital when they've let something go. Uh, So instead of a preventive care situation, you have a catastrophic care situation, which is much more expensive to take care of. So it would be so much cheaper and so much more efficient and so much better for everyone if we can just do it. We just have to get through the wall of money and the propaganda that the insurance industry puts out.
0: Well, and, and to that point, I, I want to sort of wrap this up with a call to action because what I see in in, in what you, you, like I said, you very much impressed me, Dr. Weisbert, about the, about this plan of action and, and looks like, Denny, you're ready to jump on it. I would like to see people uh, look at your website, PNHP website, and um, get a better, more clear idea of what the steps are because, you know, this to me seems to be... Uh, I mean, it makes sense to me because I'm an engineer, and I know not everybody's an engineer, but I think a guy that can change a belt on a car, combine harvester is much more of an engineer than I am, much more practical than I am. And it's, yeah, but
2: you built know the combine. I just know how to
0: work on it. <laughs> that's kind of a running joke for everybody that's listening. We've been talking about that. Then uh, he's quite the expert at that. But um, but anyways, it, it makes sense, and I think it makes sense to a lot of people to look at you know how these procedural things work and and you know to to overcome their fear and say oh it's socialism or whatever but to actually see how this thing works i think is really really beneficial so where can people go to get more information about the uh, about PNHP and and possibly either get involved or um, assist you somehow
1: yeah well great thank you uh, go to our website uh, uh, pnhp.org Uh, Or if that's hard to remember, go to show me medicare and you'll get to the Missouri chapter site, which is really just the national site. So show me medicare for all.org. Okay. HP.org. Okay.
0: And invite
2: us in, you
1: know, I, I love nothing more just about than to, you know, go into communities all over the state and all over the country, frankly, and, and help people understand this. So invite us in. We're glad to, glad to speak in church basements and in, in union halls and, Any place you want, you know, I'm glad to come in and talk with y'all.
0: Okay.
2: Dr. Weisbart was kind enough to uh, say he would join me in a town hall uh, somewhere, you know, for we can discuss this issue in in front of people uh, that may be on the fence about it. So, and I'm going to do all I can to promote your organization because this is what I want too.
0: Good. Well, Denny, how do people get a hold of uh, you, and, and what you're uh, what you're all about? How do they find out about your campaign, and how they can contribute?
2: They can go to my website, which is fdrii, the number four mo.com dot com. That's my website, and then from there they can find all my social media links. Um, so the best place to start is at my at my website.
0: Okay. We've been talking with Dr. Ed Weisbart, uh, National Board Secretary and Missouri Chapter Chair of Physicians for a National Health Program, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization focusing on the implementation of a single-payer national health insurance program that would fully cover, med- cover medical care for all Americans. We've also been talking to Denny Franklin Delano Roth II, candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives, covering uh, the Eighth District of Missouri. Thank you both for joining us today at Democracy on the Move. Thank you, Dan. On Thank, Thank you. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Each episode, we feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or check out our Substack site at democracyonthemove.org and leave a comment on the episode's page. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again to our next episode.